This podcast is supported by Breakthrough, our creative partnership for the My Colorful Nana Project Season 2. Thank you, Breakthrough, for all of your support. So we are here with Jason Henderson Green Bay. I said all of that correctly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Incredible. Incredible. Um, we're so excited to be here to talk about gender norms, gender expression in relation to black hair. Um, so Jason, can you say your pronouns, your race, uh, your gender, and then where you grew up? Uh, sure thing. Um, I'm black. Um, I'm non-binary, and I grew up in Queens, New York. Awesome. And you use they, them pronouns. Yes, correct? they, them pronouns. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So just let's start off with, I want to learn more about, you know, your, your growing up experience and and what that was like as a mm-hmm. child. And that's where I, I would love to hear more about your hair care experience, too, because right now you're rocking this like short look, right? Pixie cut look, right? So I want to know, like, you know, as a kid, did you did you always want to cut your hair? Like, did you want to mm-hmm. do things that made you look androgynous like subconsciously or just how was that Mm -hmm. experience like for you and then also where did you grow up okay yeah so um I grew up in Queens New York but I did not grow up in a predominantly black neighborhood of Queens Mm -hmm. I grew up in Forest Hills which is predominantly Asian and Jewish um Mm -hmm. so when I was a kid I outside of my family um, there were only a couple of other like black families in the neighborhood, but I think um, growing up, my hair, um, I definitely like have some sort of negative associations with my hair. Um, but interestingly, it's not because of like people around me or like trying mm. to emulate like the other kids who had straight hair and stuff. It actually came from my mother, um, so. I, my mom did my hair up until um, I was in middle school and I'm ashamed to say, I still don't know how to do my hair. Like I can't do anything. No, neither. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I can't do it at all. But my mom did my hair and something that always like stuck with me is um, she would always compare my hair texture to my older brothers. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard someone say like a black person that has like Indian hair like my mom will say like my my mom will always say oh like my brother's hair texture is more like Indian like so his his curls were looser his hair was easier to manage like all this stuff and she would always talk about like how like my hair wasn't like that and now she does the same thing with my younger sister and younger brother I don't know what it is but she always talks about how like the boys in our family have better hair so that's something that made me very subconscious and something I'm still struggling with because like I've been trying to grow my hair out um, for the first time. And like, I've never really had long hair. I've never had like a big afro or anything like that. So when I was um, in elementary school, my mom would do my hair in the cute little like black girl pigtails and stuff like that. Exactly. (laughs) And then in seventh grade, um, I would get my hair braided. There was a local salon run by a black woman um, and she specialized in hair extensions. So I would get my hair braided by her. And then in eighth grade, um, I started to straighten my hair, not with chemicals, just like with the flat iron. So my mom would take me to the salon every two weeks and I would um, get my hair flat ironed and stuff. The first time I ever cut like my hair all the way off. So it was like real, like, I guess you can say like a A big big chop. chop. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, was when I was like 16. And that's what, that was the only, like, I never was like, oh, I want to cut my hair shorter um, to appear more androgynous or anything like that. I would say like my hair was never really like connected to um, very strongly my outward um, expression or my gender expression. Um at least not up until that point um so when I was 16 and did the big chop it was because my hair was really damaged but like I will recognize at the same time that is when I first started identifying as non-binary so there's probably some connection there interesting okay wait so just say again when you chopped your hair was Mm -hmm. the first time you started to identify as gender non-binary. Yeah, it was like all in the same year. So this, these, these both happened when I was like sixteen. Like, um, so maybe like having the short hair is something that really like um, sort of made it click for me because that's when I realized I was non-binary. Because like I didn't. Um, that's when I first encountered the term and really st- sort of started to connect with it. But I don't think I was really like conscious of like exploring gender or even like thinking of different modes of experiencing gender until around that time and that that was when I cut off all my hair and like had really short hair and it Mm. was like even though it wasn't definitely something that was consciously connected I think it does like they did sort of go hand in hand you know because like I mean I could have like kept getting a relaxer and kept messing up my hair and like just to keep the length but and I remember my mom being really against me cutting all my hair off but I was like no this is something I have why to do you think do. she and was against it um my mom is just very like she's she's all about like um this is actually really interesting I'm sure we'll d- like it'll come back um up later but my mom's very feminine my mom is very like she she's very like sucked in I don't know a better term but she's very absorbed by like heteronormative and like binary like existences so like Mm. as I mentioned before I have two younger siblings um a 13 year old sister and a 10 year old brother and they share a bedroom right and like my mom when they um both when they um both moved into the room together my mom um painted it and the way she painted it was like she painted half the room pink and half the room blue because like boy and girl (laughs) yeah so my mom's all about like long hair like she she's always like coming at me like why do you never wear dresses like she's been doing it since I was since I was like 16 yeah like why do you never wear dresses why do you always dress like that like oh like why do you dress like a boy blah 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 and like I honestly don't think I really dress like a boy like um but it's just that I don't wear dresses and skirts and she doesn't like that so I think Mm. she was definitely apprehensive about me cutting my hair mostly because I think she was afraid that I wouldn't grow it back out and I mean she was right I did (laughs) and it only got shorter as time went on but um yeah I would say she was very worried about that but to give her her props she also really didn't want me to get a relaxer and I was the one who was like I should do it. So she sometimes she has good opinions about my hair and sometimes I should listen to her. No, that's fair. Um, I mean, it's, it's also just really interesting because I feel like when you talk about your mom, even now, it's like very, it's still very joyful, you know, mm-hmm. which I think is really lovely. So like, it doesn't sound like, like, I mean, I don't want to assume, but do you have a good relationship with your mom and has, you know, your gender expression it created any kind of strain um, mm-hmm. between you two? 
Um, so no, I don't actually have a great, I think my relationship with my mom is like in a interesting period because it's better than it has ever been in my entire life. But I think a large part of that is because I don't live at home anymore. She's not, she's not completely like, she never kicked me out or anything like that. Like I, I, she's never kicked me out, had any like, never like assaulted me physically or had any reactions like that but she's not necessarily accepting in that like she like as as we were saying earlier with your question about giving advice to people who want to learn my mom is someone who does not put in the effort to learn has no like she does not like she does not want to learn she does not want to put in that effort she doesn't she just doesn't care um and it's it's very blatant that she doesn't care, even to the point where, like, my siblings use my correct pronouns and um, my correct name. So Jason um, is not my birth name. That's not the name I was given at birth. Um, but I have gone through the... I've, I've um, referred to myself and introduced myself to people as Jason since I was 16. And I recently gone through the process of legally changing it to Jason. So now it Congrats. is... <laughs> thank you. But yeah. um, my mom just doesn't... For the most part, she still calls me by my birth name, even though my siblings, even my dad, they all call me Jason. But it's just not something that she mm. she does. And like we had a conversation once a couple years ago like where she talked about how hurtful it was for her that I changed my name because she's like, that's the name I gave you, you know? And I'm, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, sorry, but I'm I'm me. And that, that's not the name that I want. That's not the name that I vibe with and I'm going to change it. And if that's hurtful for you, mm. then, you know, you have yeah. to get over it. Mm. So can I ask what, what your birth name was? No. <laughs> no, okay. No, no, that's even more interesting. Okay. Yeah. No. I honestly that's something um that's something that gets me even like I don't mind being misgendered, but my birth yeah. name I'm like no way. <laughs> like, I'm like, dead. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, so what do you get out of doing something like changing your name? So one of the biggest questions of the episode is how is one's gender expression a form of creativity, control, and strength? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really curious to know why changing your name was was a part of that. Yeah, um, I think at this point, I just, I don't remember why um, exactly I wanted to change my name. It just felt like so important to me. And I think even though, like, I, as I said earlier, I don't really... I don't really connect with either um, masculinity or femininity. I guess I found um, at age 16 that my birth name was just too feminine for my liking, something that I didn't really connect with and something that I didn't want to stay with me on my on my journey to becoming a more truer version of myself. And I think that that questions of control is like such a large factor of it too because it's Mm -hmm. like one of the things I was thinking or like where my thinking was at age 16 was like I can't change what my body looks like I can't change my face I can't change how people look at me and will see like certain body parts and be like that's a woman but I have control over what my name is and I think it's very interesting because it does give people pause. I could have easily just changed my name to Jay because my birth name, like the first, so 
My name's Jason, but my birth name, J-A-Y, was also the first three letters of it. So, like, I could have easily just shortened it to that and, like, let it be that. But I very much, like, I very much was, like, adamant about, like, having a name that is, like, so often read as masculine because I think that offsets, like, how people see me or how, like, some of the Mm. things I can't control about myself. So, yeah, that's definitely one of the big things, I would say, in, um the power for me that there was in changing my name. No, that's so interesting. I never really like truly thought about how a name could like just that first, like when you first read it and the perception of you, how that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even when, like, you see- when people call me like, or like um, when I was doing, like when I was interviewing for jobs and stuff, when I graduated, like people see that it says Jason on my resume. So when they call me, they'd be like, hello, may I speak to Jason? And I'd be like, this is Jason. Like, they'd always think <laughs> that it was like an assistant or something picking up the yeah. phone. And it's like, no, this is me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's so interesting. Okay, so I want to stick with that thought and then add in this idea of race. So like mm-hmm. knowing the unique oppression that Black people in general face and then Black pe- Black women specifically face, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of acts of oppression that you can't control. Um, mm-hmm. Before people even see you know your gender or your hair they'll see your race and then there are all these added assumptions to that perception so what is it like knowing that you can control aspects of your gender identity but then when it comes to your race it's like they are going to be things that are held against you that you will never be able to control just by the way the very nature of how our society is set up how does that how do you hold both those i think that question is so interesting and like almost like funny to me because like when (laughs) I was gonna mention this when you asked me about how my relationship with my mom was but Mm -hmm. she sort of got inklings that I was like not cishet like when I was a teenager and like so one of the when I was going through the different like cycles of identity before I finally got to a place that fit me so when I was like 14 or 15 I like thought I was bisexual and I remember like when my mom like was questioning me about my sexuality, one of the things she said was like, you're already black. Like you're already going to deal with so much like crap because you're black. Why are you going to make your life harder by like being bisexual or being a lesbian or whatever it is? And it was so interesting because it's like one, like this is not something I'm choosing. So like we have been talking a lot about control and choice and like, on one hand, yes, I do choose to be non-binary, but on the other hand, it's just like, this is not something, it's not like, it's like, oh, I, I could be a woman. I just choose not to be. It's not like, like, it's very like internal and sort of just like, it's not just like, oh, I don't identify with that. It's very much like, I'm not a woman. And like, it's not like a choice that I'm making. This is just like, this is how it is. Um, But like, people don't even think that like, Black people can be or like that there are Black people who are non-binary, which is just like, just like there are Black women and men, of course, there'd be Black non-binary people. But a lot of people like, see it as like something that is not um and I don't know why that is like I maybe it's because of this preconceived notion people have of the black community as like not being accepting to different genders and sexualities but I think that's not the case you know like I think that there are so there's so much power in like being a black non-binary person and I actually do think a lot of the ideas we have about gender as a society like 
is connected to white supremacy. And there are a lot of like historical cultures who did not look at gender in the same way that we do now in different places, in Africa, in Asia, like man and women, it wasn't as clear cut as people think it is now, you know? Mm-hmm. But I also just think that sort of a power in um, that not being able to change. And like, I wouldn't <laughs> for the life of like, I would never change my race. I never like, despite like some of the things that I may have gone through as a teen or like even like wishing that my hair was like a different texture or um, because it would be easier to manage. Like I definitely had moments like that, but I've never wished to be anything other than Black. And I think despite like the stereotypes and the preconceptions people have about Blackness, for me, that doesn't have to do with me. You know, that has nothing to do with me, right? So if I walk into a room and someone is thinking some certain, like some certain thing because they see that I'm a Black person, that's that's not my problem. You know, if you, if you have these sort of ideas around Blackness and you refuse to challenge those ideas, that that is not, that's, it's not my job to change your ideas. If you can't look at me and look at other Black people and see the uniqueness within us, and if you can't see that these ideas you have, these negative ideas you have surrounding Blackness, if you can't see that that is incorrect, if you can't see that not all Black people are the same and not all Black people, in fact, not any person can fit in any one box that you put them in, any one label. And like, I think it's so easy to generalize. And like, even I'm guilty of it. Like someone who's Black, um, queer, non-binary, like, of course I have this idea about like, how certain white people might be like this notion that an old white man, he would most likely be racist, you know, but like <laughs> that, that's like a negative thing for me to say. Like, I don't know yeah. if I see someone on the street that I don't know, like, why am I going to mm-hmm. assume this just based on like these images I have or these stereotypes I have for this group? It's my job to sort of challenge myself to get to know that person, to see how my pre- preconceptions are wrong. It's always really interesting, like, even when I was coming up with the questions of Black hair, race, and gender expression, Mm -hmm. how are they going to relate? Like, one of the things that I really started to realize after interviewing, you know, over 10 people in the Mm -hmm. span of, you know, six months is, like, a lot of the issues we have about ourselves are rooted in in our experiences with our family um, and growing up, right? So... Even just hearing you talk about your relationship to your mom is is so interesting, especially because I feel like today people are learning about, you know, androgyny and gender non-binary concepts like a decade before even we did, right? So are coming out as this androgynous person mm-hmm. as early as the age of six, seven, eight. What advice would you give to someone who is learning about themselves at such a young age? That you wish that you heard as well. Yeah, I think the advice I would sort of give is just that you're not alone. You always see these negative things about social media, but I think like one of the best, in fact, probably the best thing about social media is how easy it's made it to connect with people all around the world. So it's like... Mm. If you're like a 10-year-old non-binary kid feeling like you're alone, feeling like you're the only person in the world who thinks this way, it's it's so important to recognize that 
you're not. And if you're able to just try to seek out those other narratives, those other, those other, those other people who are living like you do. And I think this goes even like twofold for um, non-binary children of color, non-binary people of color, because I think one of the things that has helped me make peace, make peace with my mom and like her ideas surrounding my gender is the fact that like part of it is this fear she has like like when I told you when she said you're already black why would you make your life harder like she knows how it is to be a black woman in this world and she's a straight black woman she is college educated she's she checks all these boxes of like what a good black person is supposed to be but she has still suffered she still faced hardship she still faced oppression she still had to deal with so much bullcrap that it's like she's scared for me and I think sort of looking at her perspective, even if I don't agree with it, even if it harms me, looking at how like she's just afraid for me, that sort of has made me see her with more compassion and has made it easier for me to like sort of mend things between us. So it's really hard to feel like you're alone, especially when it feels like your family doesn't accept you. And like, if your family doesn't accept you, you're thinking as a like 10, 11, 12 year old, if not even my mother accepts me for who I am, who will? And that like sort of makes you want to retreat back into yourself, sort of makes you want to deny these things that make you you. And I think like the advice I'd give the advice I want to hear is like, don't sort of hold yourself back. Embrace your weirdness. Embrace whatever makes you you. Be authentic as best as you can be, because I know for some people it's not safe. So maybe if you can't be out and proud um, publicly, find those friends online. Find your friend who lives in Bulgaria that you met on Twitter, um, who's also non-binary, find that person, connect with that person, you know, and sort of let your community, whether they be 17 hours away in a different state, whether they be miles and miles away in a different country, whether they be across the world, whether they be across the street and is your neighbor, just let that community sort of feed you. Mm, Love it. So something I always ask our generous thinkers is how does the Michael Fulnana Project uh, mission relate to this topic of gender expression and gender identity? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think Michael Fulnana relates in in that it's opening up these sort of conversations. It's letting people from different perspectives speak on the same topic or similar topics that are so important, but also it allows for such a huge range of um, perspectives, you know? And I think that is one of the biggest things that is necessary in combating, like, like when we were talking about pre, like people's notions of blackness or how people like stereotypes, things like that. How do you combat people who think, oh, all black people are X, Y, and Z, all gay people are X, Y, and Z. It's by showing them these different perspectives and showing them the importance of taking in all these different perspectives and really understanding that no one person from any particular group is the same, you know? So like one of the episodes I was listening to the other day was about you and your high school friends sort of talking about what it was like, <laughs> like, like you know, like- oh, not Ashley, like, yeah. Exactly, being like in a predominantly white area. Um, so even if- somehow like a little 12 year old 
Asian girl in like, I don't know, Idaho, like got access to this podcast and heard that episode, that would empower her to be like, oh, I'm not alone. And I think that's so important in this day and age, as we find out about more people who identify in all these different ways, and as we try to combat racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, it's so important to have projects like this, getting people talking about these important things, people who might not ever have the opportunity to talk about these things again, or who have never had the opportunity to talk about these things before. Very well said. Very well said. You're inspiring me. Oh, my, oh God. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that today we really dove into this idea of how is one's gender expression a form of creativity, control, and strength. I think there's just so much, like, I just want to be clear that I, I initially used the word creativity because there's so much brilliance that's wrapped within what it means to be creative. And I feel like no matter if you are self-identified a creative or not, how you even express yourself is a form of creativity. Exactly. How you identify is a form of creativity. You know, that mm -hmm. is, it's an art in a, in a lot of ways. So, exactly. So, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll wrap it up here. Um, I'm, I'm, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for um, having to anyone. me. Of course, of course. <laughs> to everyone who's listening, thank you for thinking generously and we'll see you next month. <laughs>